Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will, give, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. It's the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to this passage from Isaiah, we ask that your spirit would also open our eyes so that we might see, open our ears, that might help us to understand what you said to them so long ago and yet how it speaks and breathes today. I pray that my words might be useful to you and to your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It seems like this, if you're familiar with any of the other prophets, um, there's a lot of the prophets that are a lot of more doom and a lot more gloom. And yet here are these passages that we've been having from Isaiah seem to be a turn of the table, a turn of the corner towards comfort and joy, towards restoration, towards rebuilding, towards newness and life, towards righteousness and God's presence and spirit. And again, that does capture that tension that God's people have had as we live in the world of reality, as we live in a world that has so much beauty and so much joy, and so much to delight in. And it also has so much pain. 
and so much suffering, and so much natural disaster, but also man-made, avoidable destruction. But here we have in this chapter, Isaiah 61, it's clear. Comfort and joy comes through. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. What a start. What a cry. What a hope. What a recognition that it's not just hope for the righteous and not just hope for those who already got it together. It's not just hope for those who are, well, privileged enough to avoid some of the pitfalls that are commonly common to bringing pain. Here, we're not sure exactly who the I is that Isaiah was writing to. Was it Isaiah saying it? Maybe. Was it a person that God had yet to call up and raise up? Possibly. And ultimately, this passage resonated hundreds of years later when Jesus himself took this passage and read from this very part of the scroll of Isaiah when he launched his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. He read these very words. And you can find them recorded in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. Binding the brokenhearted. Proclaiming freedom to captives. Releasing prisoners. Proclaiming the year of the Lord and comfort to all. And God's vengeance, not so much the vengeance on making sure he gets all the evildoers, but vengeance as in he's going to make right the wrongs and this was, the, this was the message from the prophet five, six hundred years before Jesus. And this is the message from Jesus saying, this is what my kingdom is going to be built on. I have preached this passage multiple times, and you might have even heard me reference it or preach it before. And I believe this is Jesus' inauguration, inaugural address. This is where he sets his agenda for his kingdom. And when we are dealing with the, the good news, the proclamation of the good news, who is it to? It's easy for us, I think, to spiritualize everything that we can spiritualize. For example, um, we're going to be having a class coming up. This is a shameless plug for Steve's class coming up on the Beatitudes, uh, starting on January 7th, 9 a.m. in the Gilmore Room. (laughs) But you have a contrast between the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Very similar overlapping sermons that you know it's probably Jesus' stump speech that he went around doing and then it made it into several of the Gospels. But in Luke, he says, blessed are the poor. And in in Matthew, he said, blessed are the poor in what? Spirit, right. Because I think it is very clear and very important that we all recognize, no matter where we fall on today's socioeconomic stratospheres, we are all poor before God. Amen? Amen. We are all needing a God who sees us, who loves us, who knows our plight and knows how to fix it. We all need a God who is there to extend mercy and not just judgment for that which we are unable to change and control about ourselves. So we are all the poor. 
We are all the poor in spirit. But we also want, don't want to overly spiritualize everything that we miss the point of what Jesus was saying in Luke. That we miss the point of what the prophet Isaiah was saying in this oracle, in this poem. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has, has anointed me. Proclaim good news to the poor. Bind the brokenhearted. Proclaim freedom to captives. Release the prisoners. Clearly, there's not an easy way to spiritualize all those. What we do see is that there is a God who sees his people who are in anguish, who are hurting. And let's remember, the people who are receiving this prophetic word are captives. As a matter of fact, most of the Jewish people who received this word, this letter, had never seen the temple in its glory and functioning because they were born after its destruction. They had never seen Israel because they were born in Babylon to captive parents. Maybe their grandparents could tell them about the days of old of back home in Jerusalem. But they were living as a captive people in a foreign land, strangers in a strange land, without all the rights and liberties, without all the blessings of home, without the identity it's amazing. In our world, we say, where are you from? And that's where you were actually born and where you come from. But there's lots of cultures that talk about where are you from, and they talk about their ancestors. Sometimes you can, if you ask me, where am I from? And I say, Sweden. I've never been to Sweden. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, I've been to Ikea a lot. <laughs> um, I've driven a Volvo, and that, Olga was my favorite car. Sorry, Olga. It was, it was, it was named Olga. I inherited the name when I bought the Volvo. So, I mean, that's my tie to my Swedish heritage. My grandfather was 100% Swedish, and I feel this tie to Sweden, except for all the, like, funky smoked fish. But, <laughs> but these people were strangers in Babylon. They were captives. They were oppressed. They were who knows what their living conditions always were. Some might have had a nice job, but a lot probably did not. And they're receiving this word from God through the prophet the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Not just those that feel bad, but those who are effectively feeling the pains of poverty. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. It's hard to spiritualize that one, isn't it? Because we have all been through times of life where we have become brokenhearted. Whether it be as a kid with puppy love that was unresponded, or maybe it was a marriage that has hurt us. Or maybe it's our, our child who we poured out more love than we know how to express, and yet they didn't respond as well to it as we'd hoped. Or maybe it was a friend who we walked through life with, and yet, like Jesus, we know the pain of betrayal. The fact is, we all have our stories, don't we? We all have our hearts broken. The cancer that took a loved one from us. That, why? Why? the automobile accident, someone who didn't get to live to the ripe old age, but who died early. We all know the heartbreak of this world. To proclaim freedom to the captives, I bet that's a good word if you're in Babylon as a, as a Hebrew, right? As you're feeling like your decision, your life is being decided by someone else who does not really appreciate it, who just wants to use you and to be released from darkness, to proclaim the year of the Lord. 
what good news that would be to have the year of Jubilee pour out where all the things that were now wrong will be made right every 50 years. They had a year where all the properties went back to their family lines. I don't know how often they actually observed it, but it's in the Bible and it was part of the practice and part of the longing and part of the prophetic word of something that we should look forward to. So it might be tempting to regard the terms poor and oppressed as, as maybe coinciding with those who are humble or meek. But this word, this, back in the Hebrew, it, it, it connotes that the status of these folks that are poor, that are oppressed, that are bound, that are brokenhearted, they, it, it connotes an idea that this, their condition was not chosen by them, but that which was forced upon them. This is Isaiah's good news and message. Proclaim the good news. Now, it's interesting. Proclaim the good news. Again, does that cause a New Testament echo for you? Proclaiming good news. What do we know about good news? The good news are the gospels. And what's a gospel? It's a euangelion. Very rarely will I try to show off a little bit of Greek. But there's, there's it's a Christmas gift. You can open that one later. It's, it's the proclamation of good news that was part of the Roman and Greek culture. When, when a Roman emperor was born, they would send out a gospel. They would send out a message of good news. When a champion had defeated a new, a new territory and bested a new, a new country and expanded the territory, they would send out a, a, a message of victory, a message of good news, a euangelion. They would send out a gospel message proclaiming that the gods have been good to us and we have new victory. The gods have been good to us and we have a new prince. The gods have been good to us because we are victorious. And then we have this Jesus message, this euangelion, that a king has been born and that he, well, he died. Okay, that's not the normal euangelion message. But then he rose. And this king isn't just the ruler of a territory. He's a ruler of the creation. He's a ruler of the universe. He's not just a ruler for a moment where he sits on a throne until he dies. He sits on the eternal throne. We have good news of a king of kings and a lord of lords. That came about. And that euangelion word is the one that the passage here in Isaiah was translated when it was translated into Greek in the, in the Septuagint. So this Hebrew word is the same idea of that proclamation of good news. So here we have, it's no wonder that Jesus was drawn to quoting Isaiah often in his ministry. It's no wonder that the church seems to privilege and prioritize the, the prophet Isaiah over, uh, over many other of the prophets. Because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on him and he's proclaiming good news. And Jesus himself took this quote and set it up as his message. Now, here's what's interesting. If you do remember when Jesus said this in Luke 4, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll... And he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, as the rabbi would do to sit down before teaching. And the eyes of everyone in the congregation, everyone in the synagogue's eyes were upon him. They were fastened to him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
if you know what happens next, they got a little upset. They got a little angry. And I think it's easy for us in our memory, you know how you have that memory that's kind of like, it's mostly accurate, but it kind of has a little bit of like changes. If you don't know about that, just go to your friend or your spouse or your sibling and say, hey, do you remember when? And just hear how the stories are wildly different, right? But I think we have a little bit of that kind of amnesia with this text because we think, oh, they were so offended that he said that it's fulfilled in your midst today, meaning I'm the fulfillment of it. And while that was offensive to many people, while that was at times a moment where some even accused him of blasphemy, of calling out to be equal to God, this is not what offended his hometown. What offended his hometown was that he went on to talk about and give two examples from 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Two examples where God's messenger showed grace and welcome and inclusion to the outsider. To the non-Jew, to the non-promised son of Abraham, where God's blessing was poured out from God over and past the Israelites to someone who wasn't. Okay, now Jesus went too far. It's kind of interesting that the human condition is still so similar to 2,000 years ago, isn't it? We are fine if someone says, I'm going to here to lead you. Okay, we'll listen. But if you say that the other is included, man, now I'm not so sure. And again, who is the other? Who is the other? That is absolutely contingent on every circumstance. One person's other is another person's friend. One person's other is another person's cousin. But I think it's pretty common that no matter how tolerant and open-minded and loving and we get, there's, we, we can find someone that we bristle about them being invited to the party. But this is the mark of Isaiah's prophetic word to Israel. And this is the mark of Jesus' new kingdom. And this is the mark of why this passage was used to that day. You see, it's this proclamation of good news and goodness and, 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 and healing and redemption. And, and it's going to go out to the nations. Now, I don't know everybody's story. I'm sure we probably have someone here that has Jewish descent in their background, but I'm probably going to bet that the majority of us do not. This is good news. This is euangelion. This is proclamation of welcome and victory, and this is a great news message to you all, to me, the Swede. Well, partial Swede, because there's a lot of other stuff in there too, but that's typical. We won't go into that. We have good news because the blessings of Abraham have been poured out and opened up. Because even in the prophet, there's glimmers, there's, there's links in, in, in the second part of this passage where it talks about that the, the nations will see. The nations will be exposed to God's goodness and glory as he calls his people back to him, as he restores them, as he pours out his righteousness on them. It's a beautiful picture of the good news of Isaiah 61. That those outside the fold are welcomed in. Mm. You see, in 8 through 11, the Lord will heal and the Lord will bless. Verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. 
their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are the people of the Lord. They are the people of the Lord that has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in robes of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and the bride adorns herself with jewels. For the soil makes the sprout come up. A garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up from all nations. Mm. The Lord will heal. The Lord will bless. This is the good news word to the people in Babylon. And this is the good news to the people who were in first century Judaism. This is the good news to the people after Jesus ascended into the heavenly realms and poured out his spirit upon his followers and then allowed persecution to, to pour out upon them as well, scattering them across the Mediterranean world. And as they went, did they shut up? No, they couldn't. Who are they going to fear, God or man? Who are they going to honor, God or man? And they went and they scattered and they preached good news. They preached welcome. They preached the far can be made near. They preached that God's blessing is pouring out, his forgiveness, his love, his spirit. They preached that the soil makes something grow up and the garden causes seeds to grow and that God, the sovereign Lord, is making righteousness and praise spring up from all the nations. That's what they preached. And today, we too preach this message. We too hear the good news. We receive it and don't just sit on it, do we? We proclaim. We do works of goodness and kindness. We do anything we can to make sure that the world knows that Jesus is here and present and alive and well. The Lord will make and declare his people righteous. The Lord will clothe them in his salvation. Let's think about that. I love that picture that the prophet uses, that, that the Lord will clothe his people. Does that bring up any echoes for you? I sat there and I ruminated and I just tried to go with what just naturally comes to mind when I think about the Lord clothing us. I went, I went right back to Adam and Eve, yes. Adam and Eve, who at, once they ate of the apple, once they ate of the fruit, once they broke the covenant with God, and they became knowledgeable of good and evil, they recognized their own nakedness. Yes, I'm from the South. <laughs> they recognized their nakedness, and they thought, oh no, we can't be this way. To which I'm gratefully appreciative that that is the cultural change that we've had. But what did they do? They grabbed fig leaves and made their own. God was accepting that they needed to be covered now, but he was not allowing them to cover themselves. God killed an animal, took the skins, and made their clothes for them. You see, because when, when, when sin is going to be covered, we can't cover our own. God has to cover it. God has to make the provision for the covering. God has to make the reason and the way. And unfortunately, in the garden, someone had to die for their sins. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound like an echo that we have heard? Does that sound like part of the good news that we proclaim and anchor our lives in? Yes, the Lord will clothe them in garments of salvation, the prophet said, just like he clothed Adam and Eve. 
Just like in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul talks about put, that when we are new in Christ and we are embracing this new life in Christ, that we put off the old person and bring on the new. We take off the old and dirty and we put on the new and we are clothed in Christ. Why is that even possible? Well, in Ephesians 2, it talks about how God is drawing people who were far from him near. And God is taking people who were dead in sin and making them alive. And God is taking people who are, are, are not doing well, but he turns them into his very workmanship, his artwork. And in chapter 2, he talks about how this new humanity is created in Christ. I probably say this too much that I don't want it to fall on deaf ears where you, okay, yeah, new creation, new creation, new creation, new humanity. Like, stop for a moment and realize that before Christ, we were just normal people living this world separate from God. And in Christ, he's made us into a new humanity. He's brought people from the Jewish community and he's brought people from the Gentile community and not made one be conformed to the other. Instead, he took us both out and said, together in Christ, we are a new people, a new creation, an eternal family. Wow. Let us not lose sight of the mystery and majesty and power of that statement. And let's think then about the, the real life implications of that statement. If we are being clothed in Christ, in this good news, it's not just that we're looking towards eternity and we have our get out of hell free card. It's not just that we have our get into heaven free card. As a matter of fact, most of the New Testament talk and languages has really very little care about us getting to this magical, mystical place called heaven. But it is about embracing and embodying the eternal life starting today. Whenever it was that you heard about Jesus and you felt the unction of the Holy Spirit to confess him and believe in him and give your life to Christ, it's that day that began this new journey of you learning to embody and live in the reality of your new humanity. And that is good news. But it's not just one that we put up on the shelf and say, okay, sweet, now I've got life covered until I die. Now I'm just going to go back to work. Is that, am I right? No, he sends us to work, but he sends us as ambassadors. He sends us to work, and he sends us as, as representatives of his goodness, representatives of his love. I was listening to a book on the, way to, in this, in, on the way to church in the car, and one gentleman who had come to Christ in his 30s and lived a very public, private, public life as a writer he said, my whole goal in life is so that whomever I have dinner with, whether they're on one side of the aisle or the other, whether they're a friend, supposed to be a friend or an enemy, that they see Christ in me. And that is the call. Because God is the one who clothes. God will heal and bless his people to make himself known among the nations. The Lord will make and declare his people righteous. Look at verse 11. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, the garden causes seeds to grow, so the Lord is the one who makes righteous. I know it's easy to fall into this performance idea that you and I have to be pleasing unto the Lord. And there's two pitfalls here, isn't there? On the one side, we can say, we are saved by grace, so honestly, like, why am I even trying to, 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 to conform to obedience to Christ? Because like, I, I'm still so broken, I have to confess sins every week. We have that in church, we always have to confess sins, and every week I'm confessing the same sins. 
And sometimes we can just throw our hands up in the air and become libertines. Where to, to, li to, to uh, live as Christ, to die as gain, and uh, the more I sin, the more grace is covered, and it's kind of a glory to God. No, heavens no. But on the other hand, sometimes we say we're saved by faith, but we're going to continue in that good faith by earning it. I think that, I think for our kind of community here, is the, is the trap more likely set for us. Because it looks godly, doesn't it? It looks spiritually mature, doesn't it? When we want to get down on, I'm saved by grace, but now I've got to show God that I deserve to be picked on the team. Now, we'd never say it that way, right? But don't we feel it? Have you ever come across somebody who said, I don't know why my engagement broke off. I did, it, I did everything right. I don't know why I lost that job. I did it right. I don't know why my health is this way. I've honored the Lord. When we go into those spaces, I'm going to be honest, it's easy to get in those spaces. It's easy to think, I just did it right. Why do I have this? Or why don't I have that? Why aren't my, all my children walking with God? I, I raised them in the church. Right? It's easy to get into the performance trap. Let us remember that just as the, the, the seed grows by the mystery of God out of the garden, God's righteousness pours out from the Lord. And yet we participate. We walk with. We are active and alive. We are not just looking and longing for the days and the future when we're in heaven. No, but here today, we look to be the foretaste, the future taste of God's kingdom. Because he's called his people. You know, when he's calling the people back out of Babylon, guess what they have to do? It's God who opened the door, but they still have to walk back. It's God who opened the door and brings them peace, but they still have to rebuild the temple. It's God who, who, who organizes them and raises up leaders for them, but they still have to build the wall. It's God who gives them a resurgence and new love for his laws and his ways, but they still have to worship and love and participate. And so that's what we are doing here as his church. We are recharging and renewing and being uh, formed into the people that he's called us to be right here as his church, Kenneth Square Presbyterian Church. Where you live, where you work, God is going to use you to point to him. Rather than hearing these words as an exaltation of a deity who serves my needs, we should hear them as a divine command to go out and bring healing to a broken world. Isaiah preached this to a people and they heard it and they didn't know who the I was. And then Jesus preached it and he said, I'm the I. And now he sends us out in his kingdom, in his power, in his, with his spirit, to be what? The hands and feet of Jesus? I'm sorry, I've read the scriptures, you have. Don't you think God could choose some better means? Like, wouldn't a burning bush be a lot cooler now? More effective? Wouldn't a, 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 a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night be a lot more dramatic? than your life and my life. But what has God chosen? You and me and the church. Are we perfect? No. 
Do we claim to be? Sometimes. I mean, no. <laughs> the point, oh, let's see. The point is that we are to go out in the, into this broken world or to put it in Advent language, we are called to be Christ to others. The point of the incarnation is not to distance Jesus from us, but rather the opposite, to bring him near to us. The incarnation asks us to see ourselves as the image and likeness of God to whom has been given the dominion of the entire world. In our new capacity as new creatures in Christ, this image is a charge to act justly with the world which is unjust, to act peacefully in a world that is violent, to act with welcome in a world that shows prejudice, to be, to at least stand with those that are oppressed, even if we can't stop the oppression. We are Christ's image when we proclaim the good news and bring mercy, when we bring healing and justice through our service through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as an Advent text, Isaiah 61 is not just about the ability and desire of God to heal humanity and to heal our wounds. It's the call to be the bodies through whom divine justice becomes a reality, not just within our own small communities, but within the whole world. Amen? Is that a pretty big task? Can you get that solved by Christmas Eve? No. But we do it one day at a time in our part of God's kingdom as he's called us to, gifted us and equipped us to be. Lord, we pray that as we long and wait for you, we will be drawn towards you. We are grateful to you, Lord, that you're the one who pours out righteousness on us and that you make the garden grow and you make the shoots and the trees um, firmly rooted. But Lord, we also ask that we might be a pure people useful to you. We pray that as you put us to be witnesses in our communities, Lord, that we will be effective witnesses to point towards you, not just of what not to do. And Lord, we ask that your spirit might give us um, renewed strength as we're tired, that you might give us new vision as we lack the eyes to see. You might give us grace, grace to pour out, to overflow to our neighbors in a world that seems graceless. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Fill us. Send us. Use us for your glory. Amen.